Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. This is Eric in Oregon, um, so I want to do what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and I just, I think I just want to share one story about my powerlessness, that um, from the very start, um, somewhere around probably age 14, my brother showed me where my father had um, a small stash of, of pornography, and it was on slides, which we, uh, most people know what that is, uh, in a folder in his sort of den office desk drawer. So, you know, I could hold the little slides up to the light and look at these little one-inch squares of pornography. Um, and from from the start, I was I was uh, hooked. Um, I'd already adopted uh, escapism as a as a way of life, and uh, this just uh, fit the bill to that um, more more than anything else. Pretty much uh, any time I was I knew that I'd be home alone for a length of time, uh, I would go after that pornography and masturbate. And I was home alone a fair amount because my brother has just had the one brother. He was in sports and I wasn't and both of my parents worked. Um, and uh, eventually my father must have realized that you know somebody was getting into that stuff uh, because the, the drawer was locked. And uh, But what I did is I knew there was, you know, Pretty much everybody has that, you know, box of keys that, you know, we don't know what they go to, but we're, uh, you know, <laughs> they might go to something. So, so I'm away. And uh, I knew there was that box in there. So I checked that drawer every time I could until one day my dad slipped up and, uh, uh, it wasn't locked. Now, there wasn't a key in the lock, but I went through that box of keys until I uh, found a key that more or less worked. It did the, got the job done. Um, sorry, for some reason I keep getting calls. <laughs> um, and uh, so, um, so I took that key, and this is how I know I wasn't of driving age, because I rode my bicycle. Uh, into town to a locksmith, made a copy of that key because I didn't want him to discover the key might be missing, uh, and uh, went back and put the original key back in the drawer. Now I have my access again. Um, Until uh, one day when I messed up and I left that key in the lock. 
and I came home from school that day, and for some reason my my brother was there ahead of me, and my family was sitting at the kitchen table with very serious looks on their faces. And uh, my my brother was older than me, and usually, you know, kind of took the blame for things, um, and and the corresponding punishment. So I could tell by the look of his in his eyes that he wasn't going to take this one. So when my parents asked about, you know, brought out the key and asked if, that, if I had done that, um, I said, yes, I had. And uh, I lied about the extent and just said that I got the key out of the drawer. I didn't say that I made a copy. And uh, they just talked a little bit about um, uh, privacy and, you know, invading somebody else's privacy and personal uh, they didn't say personal space in those days, but but they didn't say anything about the pornography. Uh, they didn't really address the issue. Um, so that really kind of anchored the it's okay, but it's not okay kind of guilt cycle that I was already in. Um, and I just I felt like so embarrassed and ashamed. Um, but within a week, I was trying to find uh, that door, drawer unlocked again. And eventually, my dad slipped up again, but the uh, that folder was all taped shut, so there was no way I could get into it, um, you know, without being caught. And that's that's been one of the main things that slowed down my the progression of my illness was that fear of being caught. Um, but uh, not too long, much later, my brother started collecting his own pornography, and so I had access again. Um, and so that continued in, a, in secret, and I'm going to sort of fast forward uh, where, you know, as more explicit things became available, I went after them, and eventually with the Internet, um, you know, and videos and uh, strip clubs and uh, one time paying for sex. And um, I didn't come to this program willingly. Uh, uh, I just thought I had this, you know, struggle, and I would stop, and I would start, stop, start. You know, I think most of us are familiar with that. Um, and uh, I, for some reason, I started going to adult children of alcoholics. And I remember there was a guy that would come about half the time, and he would say he was an adult child of alcoholics, and he's also an alcoholic and a sexaholic. And I thought, wow, that guy has a lot of guts to just admit that. Um, and then a couple of people in my church came forward and talked about um, their struggles with pornography, and I ended up in a uh, sort of generic addiction recovery group uh, with the guy who eventually became my sponsor, and I started going to SA. Um, so that's kind of how I came to the group. It took me a long time to work the steps. Um, I ended up getting divorced. Uh, before I finished working the steps, um, and I'm not going to go into that. Um, I've remarried now, uh, and uh, am experiencing a whole different kind of marriage uh, in sobriety. And uh, I say I'm glad to be a sexaholic because it's it's the for one reason it's it's the biggest reminder that to me that God can do anything. And I forget that. I forget that on a daily basis. Every morning when I wake up, I, I think <laughs> I, for, I, I forget it. Uh, and uh, I've recently had a string of, you know, people 
will refer to it as as bad luck. And the other day I went through it, and I think I'm probably need to wrap up here. But um, in almost every incident of what appeared to be bad luck, I could see um, the good side of it and how God was bringing good out of that. Um, it started with I'll just try to run down a few of them. It started with my wife having. Uh, horrible migraines that lasted for days and days. And uh, yeah, since he has a history of migraines, the other part of that was that uh, A, we got her on some better medication, and she doesn't, almost never has migraines now. And it also resulted in us canceling a, a trip with her extended family, which um, would have been disastrous because of some issues that are that had been going on uh, in her extended family. And instead, we stayed home. We were going to go camping in our motorhome, but it turned out that mice had eaten out the insides of it. Uh, and when I took it to repair what I thought was a minor uh, leak, it turned out to be $17,000 to fix it. Now, thank God, literally, the insurance uh, covered it, so we just paid the deductible. Um, and we also, because of that, uh, so we weren't able to go camping. So um, I built a camping spot, sort of, you don't camp there overnight, but I put a permanent tent on our property, and we went and hung out there a lot and just had some good quality time together and also went on a brief uh, trip where we stayed in a, a lodge in the woods. So it all turned out for the best. And that's just one of many things. And... We recently came back from a trip, and there had been a huge windstorm with winds over 60 miles an hour, and basically in a forest. And tree had fallen on this gate and on a, this old rickety fence. But in terms of the house, it was like there was a shield around the house. There's trees that were within inches of the house and that got deflected uh, that would have fallen on the house. And it's just I look at that and I think. Like, you know, God is saying to me, hey, I'm protecting you. It's going to be okay. And like I said, I I forget. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because talking about it just helps anchor it in my head. Um, But, uh, you know, God has has done such amazing things for me and and continues to. And when I, you know, when I think it's something bad, it's, it's, it's really not. And that's why acceptance is the answer to all my problems today because um, God is in control and I can trust him. And uh, um, just I could go on and on. I, there's, there's four guys in the program that regularly say I love you to me and I to them. And, you know, my family doesn't say that. Um, people I've known for eight, 10, 11 years, longer than anyone I've known in my life that I'm not related to. Um, and actually, I do want to close with one other thing. Uh, um, this is page 78 in the, the white book. Uh, we will try to present a realistic picture of our own experiences in recovery. We trust this will shed light on the path ahead for others and communicate in a direct and personal way how the program works for us. If it seems our feet are too much on the earth, that is because no one of us has ever worked the steps perfectly. <laughs> this is on me. The road was up and down, smooth and rocky. Sometimes we were surrounded by beautiful vistas. 
However, we were in a fog and saw nothing but the placing of one foot in front of another as we trudged ahead. At times we experienced great joy, at other times doubt, uncertainty, depression, and fear. At times it seemed like we were running with winged feet, at others standing still, and still others that we were losing ground. But we found that once on this road, something deep within told us it was the right path for us. We simply knew it, and that was enough to keep us going. Whatever our experience, we have found it to be the greatest adventure of our lives. And thanks for listening. I'm done.